This episode is brought to you by Paramount Plus. An unlikely friendship begins in the Paramount Plus original movie, Little Wing, starring Brooklyn Prince with Kelly Riley and Brian Cox. Reeling from her parents' divorce, Caitlin steals a valuable bird to save her home, but instead forms a bond with the owner, leading to a new outlook on life. Little Wing, now streaming exclusively on Paramount Plus. Head to ParamountPlus.com to try it free. Rated PG 13. Hi, I'm Dominic Patton. And I'm Anthony D'Alessandro. And this is the Deadline Podcast, Hero Nation. Today, we're talking about these streaming conventions, such as Netflix's Tadum, which is kicking off this weekend. We'll talk a little bit about Venom, Let There Be Carnage. And today, we have the executive producer and head writer of Marvel's What If, A.C. Bradley, with us. And AC's amazing. This is one of my favorite interviews we've done, but... Let's talk about these. So this weekend, Netflix is kicking off this, this mega fest, multi-hour fest called Tadum. There's going to be DC fandom. There's going to be Disney's Disney Plus Day. There's going to be more and more of these. They're basically corporate Comic-Cons where you get to control the narrative for yourself. And I, and I have to say, in, in the fact of the matter is that Comic-Con, which has been virtual for the past two years for obvious reasons, is going to be doing this kind of Thanksgiving weekend thing that no one can quite get their head around. I feel like it's it's declining in relevance because everybody's got their own show. I don't know. Yeah, I, I think nothing beats live, Dominic. I think this has just all been a Band-Aid during the pandemic. The question is, when we come out of this, we really come out of this, does something like Tadum go live in Burbank or in, in Anaheim? Disney's D23 basically took over Anaheim for weekends. So, I mean... The, the idea that these corporate these corporate um, confabs would just only exist for the pandemic, I don't think so. I think I think they've identified an area where they can do this. You know, the finances of something like a Comic Con are massive for anyone. Getting your talent down there, doing a display, getting some you know, getting something to show them ready, etc. I mean, we're talking millions of dollars, and it gets thrown out there, and you have a degree of control, but it's ultimately under someone else. You know, with with like Netflix's Tadam, let me just think of the things they can talk about. Stranger Things, new season coming up. Uh, don't you know uh, that the Dwayne Johnson, Gal Gabriel, and and Ryan Reynolds movie coming up? Uh, Red Notice. You've got all this stuff that they possibly could talk about. All this stuff that they probably want to talk about, and they can do it the way they want to. Except it's all on YouTube. It's not on Netflix. That's the interesting thing. You've got it. You know, uh, from a marketing standpoint. Yes, on YouTube, trying to get new subscribers, trying to get younger subscribers. But at the same time, it's not being streamed on Netflix to the core, to the core, to the faithful. The other thing I was going to say is, you know, that Disney Plus Day that they just announced on November 12th, I, they haven't announced any panels. It's not like Disney Investor Day. It's more or less this, hey, we're celebrating the second anniversary of, uh, of the streaming service. And they've got like they're going to show Shang Chi for the first time, and they're showing the second season of The World According to Jeff Goldblum from National Geographic, and there's a special on um, Boba Fett. But there's it's something that they're doing kind of for the fans. But I mean, hey, launch it, launch Ms. Marvel on that day, you know? Give us a little surprise. Give us a little a bonus episode of Loki. 
That would be killer. Maybe. I mean, you could say the same thing of DC fandom. And DC fandom have been down the, the, the uh, virtual convention route before last year. It's, I think in a way, it's great low-cost, medium-impact marketing. Because what you're doing is, is you're keeping the fires brewing, you're keeping the grizzle on, but you're not having to go full out. You're not having to grab your, your, your talent and fly them halfway around the world. You're not having to disrupt. I mean, I know people who, who've been in Hall H at Comic-Con who have literally told me, they've like, they, they walked off a set in Bulgaria, jumped on a plane, flew to San Diego, got dressed backstage, did their thing. And within a couple of hours after signing some autographs and doing some junket stuff, we're back on a plane to be on set the next day. You know, really. And, and, and they're like, you know, they all play, they, they do the party line officially, which is we love it. The unofficially is like, it's killing me, you know? And sometimes they arrange to have members of their family there so they at least can see them for an hour or so, right? Um, I think that these virtual ones are for, on that level, they're perfect for the studios. But more importantly, I think they're perfect because they control the narrative. They, uh, it's like owning your own IP or having your own theme park. Like you don't have to piggyback with anybody else. One of the problems that can come out, problem being a big word, but an issue that can come out of something like a Comic-Con, and you and I have both seen this, you can have an amazing Hall H on Saturday morning. You nailed it. And then Marvel show up and you realize that you didn't even have 20 seconds of news cycle. I was going to say, guy stabbing him, stabbing another person with a pencil. Hey, <laughs> but, don't knock that. was one of my great moments of journalism, my I friend. know. But uh, one thing I will agree with you on, Comic-Con Part well, well, I agree with you on the point that Comic-Con Part 2 this year is in an awful spot. I mean, Black Friday weekend, post-Thanksgiving, you couldn't ask for a worse in-person time uh, on, on the calendar. And they're, double, and they're doubling down on it, which I find amazing. Yeah, and, and we have yet to hear who's going to commit to that. I mean, I can't see Marvel film, uh, let alone Marvel TV going to that. I'd be shocked. It'd be very shocking. Speaking of Marvel, let's talk a little bit about the Venom sequel, which we're like, like literally on the eve of here. You've heard some stuff about how this might actually be part of a bigger deal. Yeah, so, well, first of all, um, I will say, I have been hearing it's going to open to around 70 million. Some people have it lower, like 45 to 50, but I think they're being very conservative. Uh, and first day pre-sales were really good. But something I heard today, um, because Sony's always kept outside of the new Spider-Man stuff they're doing with Disney MCU, Sony's always kept their Marvel stuff separate. And with this Venom, they're actually going to connect to the Spider-Man universe they're setting up with Disney MCU. So that's very interesting. I know one of their long-term goals is to make Sinister Six. Um, and, that, and that's the kind of the project we're all waiting for. You know, their version of the bad guys from the Spider-Man, so. Well, now that seems like a perfect segue to talk into some of the good guys and good gals of the Marvel Universe in a whole new frame. What If debuted earlier this year. Some people had their minds blown by it because they hadn't ever read the comics, which were classics back in the day. And some people saw a whole new way of looking at the Marvel Universe that we've seen over the past decade um, from a whole new way of looking at Black Panther, Guardians of the Galaxy, what may or may not have happened if the Avengers hadn't happened, et cetera, et cetera. And including this week's episode that just dropped a couple days ago where Thor, well, put it this way, what happens in Vegas didn't stay in Vegas. 
With that, we're privileged to have, as we said earlier, the executive producer and head writer of What If, AC Bradley. So AC, welcome to Hero Nation. Thanks for having me, this is fun. Now, we wanna talk a lot about What If, we wanna talk about what's coming, we wanna talk about what might be. Can we talk about this week's episode? Because that is a little bit of, I have to say, what if WTF? Like, there was so much, so much packed in there. And I'm not just talking the amount of booze that, that Thor drank. So give us a sense about how this, and by the way, if you have not seen the latest uh, episode of What If, it's What If Thor Was an Only Child? And that's all I'm going to tell you, because you should watch it. It's actually, in my opinion... It's one of the best ones you guys have done. I mean, but it is so narratively packed. I felt like I kept thinking of points within there was going to be a part two. So give us a sense about how this one came together and what were some of the, I mean, because the whole Marvel universe shows up basically in one way or another. The episode Thor Parties Across the World actually was based on one of the original episodes I pitched to kind of get the job. They wanted to do an episode where like kind of what would cause Thor to invade Earth and like kind of trash the planet. And when I met with Kevin, I went, I think at the heart, we got to stay true to who these characters are. And Thor, in order to get him to like invade Earth, we're going to have to either saddle him with a lot of drama or we're going to have to make it an accident. Hmm. And I think it's more fun if it's an accident. <laughs> a drunken accident. Yeah. Let's be clear about that. <laughs> no, I, no, a part of it is I really like that because I will say this, and, and this is no criticism of the live action movies, but I've always felt that some of the vice of it, and this is, look, these are Disney products, so let's be honest, right? But they, 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 they go light on it. You know, yes, in, in Endgame, it's clear that someone has packed on some pounds from the booze, but it's also the pizza as well, if you know what I mean. Yeah. You guys are very clear about this. Like, I'm not saying there's a part two where he shows up at an AA meeting, but it's pretty clear. <laughs> uh, we figure he's that, you know, the Norse version of a young 20 something just wanting to let loose when their, his parents are not home and have a big party. Uh, In Vegas. Part of, the, part of the impetus was knowing that Chris Hemsworth does have the comedy chops. Yeah. And it's like, we can give him a comedy episode and he would do what exactly what he did, which is run wild with it. We did have another comedy episode in the season, which is the one that has been pushed to season two due to um, COVID production issues. Mm. Hold on, are you telling me the zombie episode wasn't supposed to be a comedy? Cause I totally read that one wrong. <laughs> <laughs> well, I'm more like in the co like pure comedy vein. Uh, that was the zombie episode was very funny because well, I'm not a huge, huge horror person. Yeah. We wanted to have like some of the laughs in there and make it more Shaun of the Dead and have a little bit more fun. Also knowing it was bookended between two tragedies. Yeah. <laughs> and then with the Thor episode, that was like writing wise, we wrote the episodes in order. So that was on the heels of Doctor Strange on um zombies. I was like, I just kind of want to be silly and have some fun and kind of take a breath myself. And I was kind, I was very surprised and supported that Kevin and Brad were like, let's do it. Lean into the eighties and nineties and all those party movies and rom-coms as much as you want. 
and the hangover obviously yeah and i was like oh so i wrote the first draft thinking there's no way we're going to shoot this and it pretty much got shot based on the script now how is that in terms of when you, when you write like that i mean look Marvel is a machine, and it's a very, very good one. I mean, it's like, it makes the Ford plant look like amateur hour at the Apollo. <laughs> but um, I will say, like, I sometimes also, though, and this isn't just true of them, it's true of DC slash Warner Media and others as well, there's a little bit of trying to turn an aircraft carrier involved in some of these, because they're so big, and there's so many movements and compartments to them. So when you talk about writing a script, and you're thinking they're never going to make this, and they make this, but let's go a little larger with that. What have been, have there been, and I'm, you know, specifics are as you, as you feel comfortable telling us, but there must've been stuff that you have pitched where they have been like, yeah, you know, and, and how does that frame out? Like, is it some of it is like, that's just too out there. That's something we're already thinking of. Like how, how have you been able to, to, to negotiate that? Well, there's sort of two questions there. There's about 18 questions actually, but you know, nice. Well, working inside the machine, um, and I've worked inside the so-called Marvel machine and other projects, this one, we kind of dodged any of the shortcomings of it because we were the first animation show. They never had a pipeline. Um, we, did, we didn't have anything to do with the Marvel entertainment animation side. So this was all brand new. They weren't used to, like, unlike the other shows that pre-wrote all the scripts, you can't do that in animation. I showed up with like, you know, I'd already done 70 episodes of animation. I was like, well, we'll do it this way. We'll waterfall it while one episode is being written. Another episode is already in production. So that kind of allowed me more control. And I will say pretty much everything you see on screen was written by us. It, we were, uh, me and Matt Chauncey were the only writers along with, I should also add um, our amazing writing assistant, Ryan Little. And it was a great experience that way. It was very freeing creatively. And when it came to, oh crap, Ashley walked into another movie. Yeah, that happened a lot in the beginning. But what was nice was I was able to basically, I text Brad Winderbaum, our executive and be like, hey, do you have five minutes? I wanna pitch you something. And he would come by the office or I'd go to his office and be like, hey, I wanna do X. And he'd be like, yeah, great idea. No, that's Guardians 3. Ah. <laughs> Congratulations. And I was like, okay. Are, I wanted, there was just different stories that I wanted to tell that the bigger issue was more either it was going to be in a movie or really we just didn't have room. But are you guys the bridge to some of, the, are you guys like an Easter egg to some of the stuff that's going on in the larger movies? For example, when I saw Doctor Strange, that screamed to me, if you want to be prepped to see Spider-Man No Way Home or Doctor Strange in the Multiverse of Madness, you have to watch that animated episode because that sets the table for what's going to happen. And so rhymed with what we came out of with Loki. No. <laughs> yes or no. <laughs> it's funny because the nature of animation, we wrote all those episodes we wrote the entire first season by Thanksgiving 2019. Mm -hmm. So the other shows were actually coming after us. So our scripts and animatics were actually shown to, I know the Doctor Strange 2 team saw them. I'm pretty sure the Spider-Man team saw some of the stuff we were doing. Um, but it was this weird, even though we came out in the middle, <laughs> we were written so much earlier. 
I mean, that's just, and it, one of these episodes took, each of these episodes takes almost a year to animate. Oh, wow. So how deep are you into season two? Because you've already told us that one episode that was supposed to go season one is now going season two. Are you three or four episodes already deep or completed into season two? My, the main bulk of my job is actually pretty much done on season two. We're in the animatic stages on, on a lot of the episodes and therefore the first drafts of the scripts and the second drafts of the scripts are already done. And we're kind of like knee deep in production and design. So I have a philosophical question to ask about comic books and adaptations. And again, what if is the exception here? From the late 80s till I want to say Holly Berry's Catwoman. I felt as though fanboys were always particular about faithful adaptations of comic books. And that anything that veered from that all of a sudden the adaptation was destined to fail in whatever format. But Marvel has gotten away with breaking this. Like, and like a lot of times when you're talking to the Marvel creators, you're like, hey, what is WandaVision based on? What comic book? And they don't want to say. They don't want to say, but at the same time, if they do say it's not a 100% adaptation, it's about a little bit off. Yeah. Can you talk about that? How? How are fanboys able, do you think, to get on this train where liberties can- Fanboys and fangirls. Fanboys and fangirls, excuse me. And, you know, um, and everyone, how are they able to get on board with liberty? You know, why can an adaptation now, how can liberties be taken? I think the credit goes to Kevin and Iron Man. Iron Man took massive liberties with the comic books. I mean, it's not about Vietnam, but it stayed true to the heart of the character. It stayed true to who Tony Stark was. Even if they didn't do one of my favorite runs, which is Demon in the Bottle, they kind of hit it at points. Uh, Iron Man 3 kind of hit that low point for Tony. And I think that's why they were able to get, a, not get away with not doing beat by beat um, adaptations is just, these characters are in good hands. There's not a single person in the FG Wells building that doesn't love these characters and put them at the forefront. But I also think I also think adaptations. To be to be honest, I actually I I, rem, I know what Anthony's talking about here, and he, and he's very right. I always thought that people who were arguing that were kind of they were missing the forest for the trees. Yeah. Like I because I I felt like well a you know that paper and mm -hmm. screens are two different mediums like one is about reading and one is sound and vision rubbing together yeah. but the other thing was too is you have to tell a story when you read like demon in a bottle is a great example right mm -hmm. or or um that is also frank miller's run on daredevil which is one yeah. people talk about a lot right um you can tell those stories in a comic you can't tell them in a movie or a television series the pacing is simply different the way you have to, the way you have to tell it. But to that, you know, let's, and I do want to bring it back to what if, because I was a huge fan of what if as a kid. Um, how, how much are you drawing from the comics as well? I mean, we all, I'll, I'll just be right out there. We all want to know if there's going to be, what if Captain America ran for president? You know, this was an episode, I think I pitched both seasons and I doubt it's ever going to be made, which is, I wanted to do Captain America meets West Wing. 
more than anything. Oh, oh yeah. <laughs> I love... Like, so Bucky's walking through and the lights are over top and he's like, we need to get this to Steve later, but I'm not sure yet. Yeah, I wanted the walk and talks. I wanted like the, the, the full Aaron Sorkin treatment of us. Is, are, is 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 Falcon the chief of staff or who's like I'm now I'm told I just want to cast this now I just think this is <laughs> <laughs> oh I have like in my notes section on my phone like we had it was literally like who would be the Josh Lyman who would be the CJ Craig we were playing around with it for ages because I was like I want I, it was just something we kind of did over beers for fun me and Matt because we're huge Sorkin heads mm-hmm. But it never, it was always one of the one that hit like the the cutting room floor or like, you know, the idea room floor. Yeah. It Because it is going to be like, it's a super talky episode and not a whole lot of action. <laughs> <laughs> well, you could do, I mean, the thing is what you do is, is you have a great montage at the beginning. Mm-hmm. And then there's just a lot of people sitting in rooms and walking down halls. Yeah. Yeah. And being very earnest about the American yeah, political super uh, future. Like Josh Ernest. Yeah. I was would love if anyone ever wants to make a movie where it's superheroes doing uh, the West Wing, I am here for you. But we didn't get to do it. But what ones have, what ones have you looked at to draw from or, or have you? I mean, I could feel threads of bits, but there's no, there's no, there's no wholesale grab. Well, the what if comics had a habit of ending really abruptly and really dark. Habit? That was their, that was their MO. Yeah, to prove that the main timeline is the better timeline. So we kind of use that as like our reason for being able to cut stories off a little bit shorter. Honestly, all these episodes could have been 45 minutes. Some of the animatics were originally 35 minutes, but due to animation and again, COVID, we actually had to cut a few of them a little bit shorter than we would have liked. But we kind of like, well, we're staying true to the comics that way. We couldn't pull as many original storylines because the mandate was use the MCU characters. For Marvel Zombies, we did go back to the original original run and pull some of the storylines from that because it was so much fun and it is a huge cult classic. So it was kind of like when it came to adapting, you pick the best parts, but you can't show every moment. Yeah. Now, is some of them are just original, fresh concepts, like not adaptations of the comics? In most of them, like the Thor one was not an adaptation. That just came from, let's do something fun and silly. One of the mandates for that one was, we'd love to have a Thor versus Captain Marvel fight. How do we get there? And I was like, this is a fun way to do it. And we were able then to weave in like um, Natalie Portman's Jane Foster and Darcy. And because the party episode was coming later in the season and we were recording all the actors earlier for the other episodes basically any actor while they were in the booth uh karen gillum we're like do you want a cameo she was like sure what am i doing i was like you're basically nebulous hanging out in vegas and she went okay do do i have hair no 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 hair (laughs) um and we fed her some wild lines and that's how she ended up in the episode and that was basically how all of those actors ended up in that episode is while they were in the booth we just had them do cameos now, did you have a, you know, were there issues where, because there are some, like, you know, and, and very movingly, I might add, we see, we hear Chadwick in, 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 on the show, very moving, I'm sorry. Um, um, but I, I uh, you know, there are sometimes you don't have people, and there are a variety of reasons, that busy scheduling, whatever, whatever. 
But have, were there cases where like it was kind of fluid and they were like, I have you, I don't have you, I this, I that? Lou handled the actual like actor outreach, which was lovely. Um, and then some of the other actors helped us with the outreach because we were starting this, we started recording the actors before the show was even announced at D23. So some of them were like, I have no idea what I'm showing up for, but when Marvel calls, you answer. Um, early on, Sebastian Stan came in because he was in the pilot when the first and he loved it and kind of spread the word. John Favreau really spread the word for us. He was probably our biggest fan. He read his episodes and his one caveat was, this is great, I'm in season two though. He's like, you're, you're bringing me back and you're bringing me back later. <laughs> and we're like, Shameless, John Favreau. We will do whatever John Favreau wants. He's so amazing. Um, Chris Hemsworth was a situation where Brad Winderbaum, who is our producer, was also the producer on the Thor movies. And I think just texted him being like, hey, I want you to do this. It'll be, I promise you it'll be fun. And he went, sure. Mm. Uh, Natalie Portman, my understanding was she was game as Chris, as long as Chris, Chris was doing it too. Cool. And she was great. Uh, usually like the actors who came back, came back with enthusiasm and seemed to have a lot of fun. And that helped us as the show is progressing to kind of gain a good reputation where you're coming in, it's an hour or two in a booth, or if you're on location, we'll do it via, um, satellite, just have fun, be silly. There's, it's animation, so there's no, there's no like wrong takes, like just kind of goof off. Um, I hope I don't mispronounce her name. Kobe Smulders, who does uh, Maria Hill, she's amazing. She came in in the middle of like back-to-back shooting Stumptown episodes. Wow. And she knocked it out of the park and she's like, I've never really done animation before. She's like, this is weird. And we're like, well, basically you're the Nick Fury of this episode. And she's like, oh, can I say the F word? I'm like, you can say the F word as much as you want. We're just edit it out. Welcome to <laughs> And she went, okay, this is cool. And she was, and at one point, one of the, our script soup leaned over to me and she went, is she my new best friend? I think she's my new best friend. She's amazing. And, it, and by the way, if you haven't seen her in FX's impeachment, oh, I gotta uh, check that out. she does a killer and Coulter. Oh. AC, there's a, there's a million things we could talk to you about and a million things we want to talk to you about. But can I can I just talk to you quickly? Because um, people are going to, people are going to, they're going to troll on us for not asking. Okay, go for it. Troll hunters. Ah! What about Ask it? from the past. Um, we just, I just kind of want to get a sense of you. I mean, troll hunters is a classic. For you, what was, what, what was that experience like for you? Troll hunters was really funny because... I wasn't expecting it. I am primarily like a live action genre writer. I'd had pilots. Um, I had just finished writing a script for Disney, which I think, I think I handed in the last draft the day they had announced they were buying Lucasfilm or they'd bought Lucasfilm. So my script got put in a drawer. And I was actually in New York on the four train. And so that script is as yet unproduced? Oh yeah. Oh. I want it. It's called Samantha Hale. It's James Bond of a teenager. But uh, I was on the four train in New York City. I was visiting my parents and Mark Guggenheim, who I'm good friends with, called up and he went, how long are you in New York? And I was like, well, I've been here for a couple of months because of family stuff, but all my, my car and my stuff is in LA. Why? He went, okay, I've got a show going. I want you on it. And that was pretty much the entire, he's like, I want to send you the pilot. And I went, okay. <laughs> and I 
a week and a half later, I was on a plane back to LA. Wow. And we started the room. It was one of those situations where I was like, okay, this will be a fun job. Not realizing I'd end up working in animation for the next six years and really loving it and loving the process, the animatic process. Um, I think in animation writers get to, we get more experience with how do you CGI and directing because you spend so much time in the edit bay. Uh, the two editors, the two main editors on Trollhunters, um, Graham and Joel Fisher, are two very close friends of mine. We did Trollhunters together, we did Three Below together, and they were my second call when Marvel's What If was going. Um, I called them up, I went, I can't tell you what this is, but can you, I wanna, can you guys come over to the Disney lot? And it was funny because another friend who's one of my closest friends was in the room at the time. And apparently Graham went, what the hell is that about? And she went, she's going to offer you a job and you're going to take it. Congratulations. Mm -hmm. <laughs> and the first call I made was actually uh, to Matt Chauncey, who was um, my number two on Three Below, which was the Trollhunter spinoff. Because in that writer's room, and that was a hard show to pull together because of production issues, we would constantly talk about Marvel movies. And that was our shorthand, Marvel, West Wing, Alias, and Buffy. Wow. Yeah. Talk, <laughs> so about, like when, a, a, talk about an almost holy quartet. Yeah. Uh, I think nowadays we're like, what can we do that's Alias-like together? <laughs> uh, but well, there's a world really of possibilities there. Before you go, can you tell us anything about season two? Season two is a lot of fun. The wheels kind of like, the training wheels come off and we get to do a little bit weirder, wilder. There is one episode which is probably the closest to my own personality I've ever written. It's heartfelt, it's full of action and bad 90s clothing choices. And lots of West Wing references. Oh, I wish. I mean, you have <laughs> dropped a lot of West Wing on this on this podcast today. <gasps> Come on, that show is beautiful. I mean, here's my thing with the West Wings. I think I watched it a lot over the last four years. I remember watching it when I was younger and just thinking it was great drama. And now I watch almost like this is the world's best fantasy. I just oh, love yeah. it. I love the oh, idea. Yeah. Of... It was the world's best fantasy when it came out. I know. I was young and idolistic myself when it came out. Yeah, I see you've got a Ms. Marvel thing in the back there. You're a consulting producer, right? Yeah. Um, basically, between the seasons, uh, Marvel asked me to go to Atlanta and help out on set for four months. Okay. You don't, I mean, do you think we'll see that show this year? I, that is for people above my pay grade. Um, I know uh, they're in the middle of filming the Marvels and everything I've heard is that it's absolutely stellar and amazing. So if they're holding off on the show, I have no idea but I'm excited to really see Hawkeye come out. I don't know much about that, um, that show. Being on What If, we were read into almost everything, but Hawkeye, because of the timing, I actually never read the scripts. I have no idea what's gonna happen. So I'm super excited to finally be able to watch something from Marvel. I so wanna know more about Rogers the musical. I know. <laughs> like, I, I, like, I, like I'm like, you have to really do this. You, I want a soundtrack. I want like <laughs> using the shield where it happens. I want a whole, t I want like, I want, I want Lin-Manuel to come in and do like an EP, everything. Yeah, I want to see this. I just, just give us two hours of that. And or give us a what if episode in season two of what if there was a Broadway musical of the life of Captain America? 
And with that, AC Bradley, we thank you so much for joining us on Hero Nation today. What If has two more episodes in its first season run on Disney Plus, and then it will be back for a season two. You can see all of the episodes from Another Way of Looking at Iron Man, Another Way of Looking at Black Panther, What If the Avengers this, What If that, What If this, What If Thor was an only child and had a serious drinking problem that we could actually talk about for once. Thank you so much for joining us. Thank you. Thank you. Well, that was great with AC, and I really hope she takes us up on our offer of coming back for season two, because the door at Hero Nation is always open to her, and always open to you. And thank you so much for listening to this episode of the Deadline Podcast, Hero Nation, today. Make sure, as well as listening to us, if you get us on the Deadline site, but hopefully you're also listening to us on Apple Podcasts or Spotify, where you can subscribe, so you'll never miss a single episode. And of course, you can find all of our breaking news coverage of TV, film, business, and everything affecting our industry at Deadline.com. And that includes stuff like Netflix's Tadam this weekend. Watch, you will learn. With that, have a great rest of your week. Take care. Bye-bye. It is Ryan here, and I have a question for you. What do you do when you win? Like, are you a fist pumper? A woohooer, a hand clapper, a high fiver. I kind of like the high five, but if you want to hone in on those winning moves, check out Chumba Casino. At chumbacasino.com, choose from hundreds of social casino style games for your chance to redeem serious cash prizes. There are new game releases weekly, plus free daily bonuses. So don't wait. Start having the most fun ever at chumbacasino.com. No purchase necessary. DTW, avoid, we're prohibited by law. See terms and conditions 18 plus.